Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. KMOX and your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome, and thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking the good gardening stroll shortly, but before Mr. Kelly takes off... Mr. Kelly, we had kind of some rough weather, and I understand you took a spill. Oh, yes. I was leaving the house yesterday coming to work, and I was looking for the peacock because he wasn't where he usually is. And I was said, That's hey, Henry the Peacock. Henry right? the Peacock. I said, where are you at, Henry? And, man, I just went right down. And wow. it was a very thin layer that you couldn't even see was there. And it was just, what a surprise. Really? So, eh, a little sore. You know, an old guy falls, it's... <laughs> You're not that old. What are you, 29? Oh, my goodness. Mm. <laughs> I take a morning walk every morning, you know, some yeah. time between 6 and 8 in the morning. Yeah. And I'll tell you, to the last couple of days, I've had to really take it slow. Yeah. I, I haven't taken any spills, but, uh, you know, I've had some in the past. I certainly try to avoid them. I Just, walked through the snow this morning instead of walking on the concrete because I was that like, makes and sense. of course, in the morning it was dark. I came out at four o'clock. Ah. And so it's like, I'm going to stay in the snow and then, uh, then I won't fall. Well, I'm glad you didn't get hurt too bad. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> yes, folks. Three, That's an one, evil four. laugh, isn't it, James? That's kind of, yeah. <laughs> hmm. uh, Folks, if you have any questions, concerns, or comments about your landscape, your houseplants, or whatever, well, I certainly uh, medical things, of course, no. 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Questions, concerns, or comments. Saturday mornings, we get together, and we've been doing it for over 25 years now. And we have a roundtable discussion on what's impacting your backyard. How about that front yard? Oh, uh, how about the in-between-the-houses, the side yards? Especially garden spaces. A taste of the tropics, yes. What's wrong with your Christmas cactus? Why aren't they blooming? How about your poinsettia? You have to say poinsettia. You can't say poinsettia. That's wrong, except that's a colloquialism. We always say poinsettia. Anyway, how to improve your soils? How about pruning and shearing? And the snow really you know, was bending some branches on some trees and things like that. When we have snows, please just don't go out and knock the snow off your plants, your shrubs or anything like that, because it can do more damage than just leaving the snow there. So anyway, my thoughts, concerns, orchestrates, maybe help you solidify your options with the final judgment. And uh, this is your show, and I certainly appreciate you inviting me into your home car or wherever you're listening. Another very important player today is James. He's producing the show, so when you call in, James will need to know uh, just your name and where you're calling from. He doesn't need to know the topics or anything else. And uh, I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline for quite a while, and uh, during the week, I do landscape consulting, which I call a walk and talk. So you can go to my website 
And uh, MikeMillerDesigns.com, the homepage, has my email address and phone number where I can be reached. And people are contacting me, and they have in the past, where I can send uh, email you a gift certificate if you'd like to give a gift certificate of a walk and talk for somebody that you know. So anyway, today's Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting. Tradition always keeps going, yes. And uh, this is the last Saturday before the new season begins. So tomorrow is the first day of winter. So I always take a walk around my own yard on the last Saturday before the seasonal change. Thank goodness there's a warming spell, so Mr. Kelly doesn't probably have to worry too much more about slipping and sliding and falling. And uh, we'll start in my landscape, the alley bed, which is on the east side of our property. The uh, purple cone flowers, man, those spiky seed heads. I was surprised there's not more birds there eating the seeds, but there has been quite a few. And uh, they it's blended in there with a lemon verbena. Lemon verbena, with this cold snap that was early on in November, it really turned them all black, except the one few, little bit of foliage right at ground level. Anything above ground level was uh, blackened. Also, at that same cold spell in November, the uh, some of the foliage on my small-leaf boxwood back there got some cold damage as well. The sedum ground cover, yes, it looks like green confetti on the ground. And uh, some of the stems of the sweet alyssum, which I've already cut off and everything else, you can still see evidence of that, and uh, uh, it's just kind of there resting. Westward we go into the backyard, and uh, along the fence I have seasonal decorations. And with a lot of my pots, what I've done is uh, across the street from where we live is Christie Park. There's a couple huge white pines there. So I go over there and collect off the ground the pine cones, and I use those for seasonal decorations on the top of my uh, pots. So the snow is still present out there. The mugle pine, the two boxwood, the Leland cypress, they have more decorations on them. The only perennials that are showing any kind of presence at all is a palace purple coral bells. You can still see the foliage of them. Everything else is underground. The zoysia front and backyard both has been tanned by wintertime. And I've made sure I've done a couple cuttings. My blade height on the zoysia is about, oh, two and a half inches or so. In the front yard, which faces west, faces Christie Park, there's a trellis trio. And I've dotted that with ornaments and streamers and things like that. So the beds along the street, well, during that slippery stuff, you know, it was on Monday, I think, I heard a, I was sitting on the couch just kind of looking at the snow coming down in the, across the street in the park, and I heard a bang. I thought, what in the world was that? And I thought, uh-oh, because the city water has been doing some uh, repairs to some water lines a couple of houses down from us. And I thought somebody has driven their car into the giant hole that they had dug. But no, it wasn't that. Somebody had actually slid and hit the stop sign on the corner there, so... And I, you know, they were having a hard time getting, you know, going back in the direction they wanted to. So the stop sign still lays dead on the ground. The uh, sugar maples, we have three. One is still holding on to a few brown leaves. Normally they drop them all by now. And underneath these sugar maples, the uh, green moss mingles with some sedums. 
At the front door is where I have several pots and more pots that are top-dressed with the white pine cones and uh, that I collect in the park. And today's show is... Uh, I'll have a after today's show. I'll have a closer look at my landscape now that the snow will be finally melted off after a couple of days, and I'll enjoy just being outdoors and figuring out which birds are going to be stopping by and what they're going to be going after. For some reason, I can, you know they they love they seem to love the maple squirts from the sugar maples. So, but only certain varieties of birds like that. But anyway, if you have any questions, concerns, or comments, three one four. 436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Listening to KMOX has never been easier. Siri, play KMOX. Yes, folks, questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. If you're going to give a gift of like, a, a let's say, a house plant or a poinsettia or poinsettia, you know, depending upon how you want to pronounce it, it's like peony or peony, doesn't matter. We all understand what kind of plant it is. But uh, make sure that wherever you purchase it, they wrap it up pretty well. Now, today, later on, it's not going to be much of a problem because the temperature is going to rise. But when it's cold and you carry those things out from a store and put them in your car and then you carry them from your car into a house or wherever you're, you know, to, let's say, whoever you're giving the gift to, the plants can be really damaged. So just be cautious and careful whenever you make a purchase and the temperatures are below freezing it could do some damage to even, you know, poinsettias or poinsettias or Christmas cactus or whatever you happen to be giving. So just, you know, that is something to keep in mind. Also, keeping in mind, I don't know if you have a, let's say, a cut tree, if you have a live tree. I don't know if people really do live trees anymore. Live tree meaning it has a root system that ultimately will be planted in your landscape or donated to somebody or something along that line. Uh, the people across the street when I grew up, when I was growing up in Ellisville on Maple Lane, the Harmons, Mr. Harmon always got live trees. He got scotch pines for the most part. And the, it was like a scotch pine forest ultimately on the side yard because each year they'd take them out and plant them and they really got pretty substantial. Now, the scotch pine is not the ideal necessarily Christmas tree to have, but uh, it certainly worked out well way back then. And uh, just be conscious if you have any kind of tree that's a live tree, even if it's cut, that you make sure that you keep plenty of moisture in that dish so you can keep the tree from, let's say, dropping more needles earlier on than what you would anticipate. It's, I, you know, we've, I forget where we were. Oh, I think it was, uh, was it Eckert's? I think a couple weeks ago, I was surprised how many people were buying trees and, you know, putting them up on top of their car, like that's basically the only way you can get them home. And uh, so I thought maybe we'd gotten to the point where everybody's going to have an artificial tree. We have a tree that we actually got when we were on vacation in Miami. And it, <laughs> it hardly is a traditional Christmas-type tree. It's, a, it, it's chrome. So we just thought this is really unusual and very unique. And so that's what we decided to uh to do, and we've done that for the last couple of years. We may end up going another direction. 
So it looks like we got a phone call, and it's Mary, and Mary lives in Crestwood. Hi, Mary. Hi. The little um, pine trees that you get from Shooks for as gifts at Christmas time, can those be planted outside next spring? If they're Alberta spruces, yes. Okay, no, I don't think so. I think they're a pine of some kind. Uh, it's you know it should be a, a you know a type of pine that is you know they should have a tag on them that tells you what it is. Okay. So you know, but for the most part. I don't know if I'd leave it inside all winter long and take it out. Probably what I'd do is transition it and put it in a, by a window in, you know, in your garage so it can get used to the cold. And then I'd probably get it planted outside before, if, uh-huh. you know, before let's say, a couple months from now because it's not okay. going to survive in your house. Now, there's a nope. Norfolk Island pine. That's one of the you know, types that could be sold. Uh, this time of year, but that's not a tree that's hardy in the outdoors at all. Okay. Great. Thank you so much. Merry Christmas. Yeah, well, same to you. And also, uh, (laughs) historically, traditionally, I don't get, you know, let's say a pine tree. I get a rosemary tree. And what this is is a rosemary plant that has been pruned, you know, multiple, 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 multiple times to make it sort of like in a cone shape. And I've been probably getting them every year for, oh, I would say 10, maybe even 15 years. So the, this year, we you know, we got one, and uh, it's sitting in front of the window on the north side of our house. And uh, what I do is I rotate it every day or so so it can get light. Thank goodness we've gotten some sunlight lately. But uh, then I take it outside and... Then I put it in a pot in the landscape someplace. But the rosemary is not really a, a hardy plant for this region. So consequently, they always, when it gets starts to get severely cold the following winter, then they, but uh, they're kind of fun to have. I mean, just the fragrance and everything else is fantastic. And it's kind of nice to, you know, to have something that's green, that's small, that you can kind of have on your tabletop. So that's a rosemary. Anyway, let's go to Dave, and Dave lives in DeSoto. Hi, Dave. Hi, Mike. Hi. Mike, I've got a, a black gum tree that I planted about two years ago. When I planted it, it was about a two-inch caliber, and uh, it's basically held the same shape since I planted it, and I wanted to know, uh, can I prune it now, and can you give me some pruning tips? I'm trying to make the tree fuller. Personally, I would leave it alone for at least a couple more years. Black gums are very slow growing, and by by not doing any kind of pruning, you're maintaining the leaf population as much as there possibly can be. And what happens is for a tree to grow, it has to have the nutrients and moisture to come up from the root system, and then it's translocated up to the foliage. Then the foliage uses sunlight to make chlorophyll, which is plant food. So if you start taking branches off to try to make it fuller, I don't think that, you know, it's going to kind of, it could possibly mess up the process. So I wouldn't do any pruning, probably at least for four or five years. Okay, Mike, I'll do that. And, uh, you know, it's just to try to get it to be as healthy as it, as it possibly can be before you do any kind of pruning. And uh, black gums are not necessarily going to be really thick, dense trees, but uh, good luck with that. Black gums one of my favorites, so. Okay. Well, thanks for calling. And if if anybody else has any questions, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. 
Uh, black gum sometimes sounds like sweet gum, and they're not the same kind of tree at all. Black gums have a shiny, kind of a, an oval-shaped leaf that gets fantastic fall color. As I said, they're slow-growing, and also they can take a, you know, a wet environment as well. The name black gum comes from the fact that the fruits that they produce are, are, have a black juice, and actually it was used way back when for people that wanted to, let's say, well, I think even the Native American Indians used it to, to sort of tint things, leather and things along that line. So that's where the name black gum comes from. Botanical name is Nisa, N-Y-S-S-A, and then Sylvatica. So... If it, as I said before, if anybody has any questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. The ground, I, I'm not sure. When I go get home today, I'm going to go out with a shovel and see if the ground is frozen. If the ground isn't frozen yet, you still have the option or the opportunity to get some deciduous or evergreen trees and actually do the installation this time of year. So you can still do that. But if you have a smaller tree... You get some kind of wrap, like a plastic wrap, to go around the base of the tree. And what that does is that prevents wildlife, rodent types, from chewing on the bark. Because a lot of times they're not necessarily going after the food aspect, but they're going for the moisture. And that's really, really important as well. So let's see. Where should we go first? Let's head out to St. Peter's and go into Dave's yard. Hi, Dave. Hi. Hi. I had a quick question. Uh, there's a... A guy at work, kind of an old-timer, that has always said the best time to plant grass seed is right before it snows. And I always thought that was kind of contrary to, you know, like you put seed down when it's going to be, like, freezing cold. It right. doesn't seem to make sense. But hey, that's what he always said. I don't know if yeah. there's any validity to that That's old-school stuff, and it doesn't really apply at all. So, But you're absolutely right. I mean, you put it out there, the ground's super cold. Who knows how many rains and everything else we're going to have before it actually has a chance to germinate? Because germination is all related to, you know, soil temperatures. And so consequently, it may take several months before the soil is going to get warm enough to actually cause that seed to germinate and start, you know, having root growth. Uh So consequently, who knows where that seed's going to end up in those couple months? Is it possible, though, that, I mean, I guess since there, I guess the theory is that the, the ground's going to be kind of soggy and the seed will get a chance to kind of get in the soil a little bit and kind of maybe a little covered up so it doesn't blow away. And is that, is that kind of, I, I don't know what, why else they would say that. I don't know. To be honest with you, to me, it was the grain elevators at that time had grass seed and they were just promoting it to make money. I don't think it had anything to do with reality. Okay. <laughs> So, Good enough. I mean, it's, you know, maybe people have had great success with it, and but I have never heard of it. I've worked at the Botanical Garden. It was never done there. I've never, I've known plenty of people that have had lawn companies. They don't do it. So you yeah. you put the seed down when the ground is getting warm. So that's September is when it's the warmest. That's the ideal time. Or even if you put it down earlier in the year, it could just lay there for several weeks before it germinates because the ground is still cold. So putting it down even after the snows have finished and everything else, when the ground is still cold, it's just not going to do anything. Yeah. Huh. It's funny. Good to know. No, great. Well, thanks, Dave. All right. Thank you. Yep. Thanks for having me on your show. And let's head out to O'Fallon and go into Bill's yard. Hi, Bill. 
Hey, listen, great program as usual. Um, I have, you may have answered this some other time, but I didn't hear it. And that is the pruning of raspberries and of blackberries, the, the canes. Is it too late to prune them? No, it isn't. But I would, you know, the older canes, the ones that are the biggest, take those down all the way to the ground. Any of the younger ones or smaller ones, leave those alone. Because the older ones will get to the point, in other words, the ones that have, let's say, a bigger diameter, they're going to get to the point where they're not going to be productive anymore. All they're going to be doing is just sucking up nutrients and moisture and everything else and preventing the other ones from maybe having the adequate nutrients and moisture that they need. So, no, you can still do it this time of year. Take the big ones all the way back. Right. Uh, some, of the, some of the things that I just read online, and I trust you more than what's online, by the way, uh, some of the things I read online are to take the big ones in uh, no longer than 24 inches. You say all the way to the ground. Yeah, because I, they don't really sprout. Yeah, I never see side shoots coming off some of the larger canes. Now maybe that does occur, and I, you know, I've only seen X amount of numbers through the you know forty plus years that I've been playing around in the outdoors. Actually, even as a kid, but uh, so I don't know why I just take them down to twenty four inches. Okay, and uh, you're right. Uh, the rabbits are out. Uh, they've gotten. Uh, I didn't get my wire cages up in time, and I've had some nibbles on some of the lower ones. Mm. And you're right. They just. They they make incisions cleaner than the doctor. They just really whack it off. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're desperate. So this is the time of year for that kind of thing. Well, thanks, Bill. Thank you. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's just a, a question of, you know, the the canes, like on raspberries or blackberries or whatever it happens to be, why leave, you know, one at 24 inches? There's probably not going to be any foliage down there or anything else, so it's not even helping the colony. So that just, you know, that to me just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Let's head out to Edwardsville and go into Julie's yard. Hi, Julie. Hi. Thank you for your show. Sure. Thanks for having me on your show. I have a question about some lilies, and I don't know the name of the kind, but they're they're very different from, like, daylilies. They... They just they come up in one single tall stem, and it just has little triangular shaped leaves that come out on each side of the stem, and they're just little. And when they bloom, they're very spectacular. They're very big blooms and gold color, not as big as amaryllis, but big. Right. But this year. They had to be moved at a bad time because Ooh. of some construction, so I didn't know what to do. And I I put them in a pot, and I put them in a room that isn't heated, but it does get a lot of warmth from the sun. But the, but they but the stems turned brown anyway, so I I just cut them off. But are they? Uh, is it possible that I could plant them in the yard again in the spring and they would come back, or are they doomed? <laughs> well, it's hard to say. But before I went to the trouble of digging a hole and replanting them and everything else, when you take them out of the pot, I'm assuming, when you put them in the pot, did you use regular just dirt from outside, or did you use like a potting mix? A potting mix. Okay, so it'll be easy. Just tip them you know, on their side and you know, kind of shake them out and just 
get all the potting mix away from it and see. There should be something that kind of looks like a, a I'm going to describe it, let's say, as a miniature-looking pineapple, like a bulb more or less. It's not a technique. It's not a bulb like a daffodil or something like that. It has texture. So these are Asiatic lilies. There are several different types of lilies that you're describing. So consequently, see if it's still firm and everything else. If it's still firm, the bulb, then certainly plant it. Plant them probably like, uh, let's say, three to three inches deep or so and in a well-drained soil and if they're not firm, if they're mushy or non-existent, then don't wait. You know, don't waste your time and effort. Okay, so the, so there is hope, though they might yes be there. Okay, thank you so much. Yeah, and the best way to find out is to tip them out of the pot and shake the potting mix off. So that's the best thing you can do. Well, thanks, Julie, and uh, let's head over to Daniel's yard. And Daniel lives in Salem. Hi, Daniel. Hey, uh, thanks for taking my call. Um, I had a question regarding Russian sage. Um, we had planted it maybe five years ago, and the first year it came up, it it, it took off. Um, and then once every year after that, the large portion of the plant seems to die, and the small shoots kind of the side shoots take off every year. So I didn't know if that was normal or we should be pruning it um, or cutting it back each year. Well, that's not necessarily normal because the above ground growth can, you know, depending upon the weather and exposure and things like that, it should stay persistent and then put it, you know, produce foliage and then consequently those pale blue flowers the following year. So the, the colonizing, in other words, those side shoots as you're seeing, they are colonizers, so they should do that. But the original big plant, you know, they want to have a very dry soil, well-drained, and they want to make sure that you don't over-fertilize them or anything like that. They don't like a whole lot of fertilizer. And because they have that grayish foliage, they're a great plant if you live in an area where there's deer because deer generally don't like fuzzy gray foliage plants. So this is a good plant and why, you know, let's say the main plant is dying, you know, in your in your situation, it's a little tough to say. Okay. But that's okay. not necessarily yeah. what should happen. Okay. Well, we haven't been able to pinpoint it, but it just seems like the large portion of the plant each year doesn't doesn't live but i mean the side shoots take off and they're almost as big as that by the end of the you know the growing season. right well maybe it's the exposure and everything else that's causing that but uh so you should be you know you should be fine again no fertilizing and just a well-drained soil situation which you must have or else it wouldn't be putting the side shoots out okay all right thank you certainly mike miller kmox garden hotline back after these messages. Hi, this is Bob Costas, proud KMOX alum, and from my family to yours, happy holidays. Happy holidays from KMOX. Yes, folks, if you have any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Let's head out to Ferguson and see what's going on with Sheila. Hi, Sheila. Hello, Sheila. Are you there? Hello. Uh-oh, Sheila. Hi, Mike. Hi. 
Yes, I have a uh, good question for you. Where can I buy a rosemary plant? <laughs> uh, I knew you'd be laughing. No, I basically where I get them is I get uh, Trader Joe's. There's okay. plenty of garden centers that have them. Whole Foods has them. So um, I get them. There are all kinds of places, year-round garden centers. Now, the big box garden center type things, I don't think they're going to have them. Like Deerberg's probably wouldn't have them? Nah, my guess okay. is no. But they okay. may. But, uh, all right. you know, it's the year-round ones that are going to probably have them more so than the other ones. And like I say, Trader Joe's and, and Whole Foods have them. Yeah, I go to Trader Joe's a lot. Sounds good. Great. Good luck. Okay, thanks. Merry yeah. Christmas. Same to you. Yeah, the rosemary plants, I mean, there's, the fragrance is unbelievable. I don't use them too much. I'm not a, you know, I don't cook a whole lot, so I don't use a lot of rosemary in my cooking, but uh, it's still pretty nice. Anyway, let's head over to Noel, Noel, and uh, they live in St. Louis. Hi. Good afternoon, or Hi. good morning to you. Yes. Um, I have, my questions about, I have some large burning bushes. They've been planted for over 20 years. Um, I, I just I looked it up on the internet and it said that you could trim those back in November, and they'd never been trimmed back before. They were about eight or nine feet tall. I just cut those things back to about three to four feet tall. <laughs> Am I killing them? You very well could have. <laughs> oh, wow. You may not have. They're pretty tough. But the fact that you, I don't know how big they were originally, but I never really like to well, take take off more than 20% at a time. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, the reason, yeah, I took off half of it. Okay. The reason why I'm saying that is a burning bush pretty much like any kind of shrub, will have uh, buds for foliage and slice. They even flower, but you, the flowers are not something you even notice. And they're generally going to be in the newer growth, and the insides of the plants don't have a whole lot of buds slash foliage. So consequently, when you've eliminated all the exterior, then where are the flower, not the flower, where are the foliage buds going to be able to push out some growth? Because as I told a listener earlier, the plant needs to take up nutrients and moisture through the root system and send it up to the leaves. Then the leaves use sunlight with those nutrients and moisture to make food to keep the plant healthy. So that's the, sort of the disadvantage of taking off all that much at once. <laughs> wow, it was a, a pretty big, nice bush. Um, well, two of them actually sitting side by side that blocked the view of one of those big green electric boxes. Ah, um, you may be, they I may be okay. I, They're, t you know, they are pretty tough, but the thing about pruning, you know, you know, personally, I don't like to, even with deciduous things, it, later and later you get, and right before it's going to, who knows how cold it's going to get, you've cut it back to this point. And so consequently, if we get a severe, you know, stretch of cold, even the stems that are left, you know, could be cold damaged, and then consequently it could be even smaller than what you anticipated, and then the chances of having any kind of foliage buds on those, what would be left, is even going to be less less of a chance of that happening. Wow. Well, I guess spring will tell. Yes, exactly. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, well, thank you very much, and um, I enjoy the show. Well, thanks for having me on your show.
So anyway, Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Got time for a couple calls if you'd like to uh, get an answer to your questions or make a comment. 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. When we moved to our home about 12 or 13 years ago uh, from Soulard, you know, what I wanted to do is have an access all the way around the house. So what I put in or had put in was a steel ledger, and I backfilled from the steel ledger to the house with gravel. And then there's landscape fabric underneath that. And it was, a you know, proof in the pudding or proof in the reality. The landscape fabric definitely helps as far as weed germinations, but only if the weeds are perennial weeds that are coming up from the root systems from underneath the landscape fabric or also... Uh, seeds that were laying there from the weeds. So that's been fine. But, you know, as a result of that, I still get weeds that come in, blow in, you know, who knows how they get into the gravel, but in between the steel edger and, uh, you know, and the foundation of the house. And right now, the things that I'm finding or seeing most is henbit. I'm seeing that, especially on one side of my our house, and also chickweed. So those have been the most prevalent being able to, let's say, get themselves where the seeds will come and fall into the gravel. And even though the landscape fabric's there, they can still root. They'll, you know, they'll germinate. They'll send the roots down through the landscape fabric. And they do really pretty well. So it's just too bad there's stupid weeds. But anyway, again, it's henbit and chickweed, other cool season weeds. So in other words, these are weeds that germinated. They're annual, so they come back every year. Uh, they germinated last August, and I should put a pre-emergent down, but I kind of just like to l- play around with it and just to kind of see what's going to come up and where they're going to come up. And mainly it's on one side of our house where they seem to. So there's just uh, what, why there's more prolific weed seeds on that side, annual weed seeds, than the rest of it. I'm not really sure. but uh, So that's one of the things that you need to be thinking about or just taking a look at. So in your cool season lawn, just go out there and take a look. The snow is really going to be melted today if it's going to get up to 50. And just look down and see if you see anything that has a broadleaf weed, but you know, or a broadleaf. But also, if it's an annual bluegrass, it's a bluegrass, but it only lasts one year. So consequently, it's going to look like grass. So you're going to go, is this part of my lawn? If it's in the zoysia and it's green, then yes, it is probably the annual bluegrass. If it's in your fescues or bluegrasses, it's going to be a little bit tough to tell. But anyway, so those are three of the main ones. There's also in the cool season annual weeds. There's uh, rabbit's foot clover. There's shepherd's purse. There's prickly lettuce. And there's Persian speedwell. And the speedwell, it kind of looks cool in a way. Grows really flat on the ground. Has a probably a... A bluish flower that may be smaller than an eraser on a pencil so that you go, wow, maybe that's something I should keep around. No, because they become more and more and more and more. So as these things are flowering, even you know, in times when you think, how could something be flowering this late? They're just dropping seeds, and then those seeds are going to just drop. So consequently, that's the advantage of putting a pre-emergent down. If you have an annual weed problem, there's two different types. There's the cool season type, and then there's a warm season type. But the ones that are growing right now that are obvious, that are visible, are visible, 
are the, you know, the cool season ones. So just keep that in mind when you go out and you start looking around, walking around your landscape and everything else. If you see something that looks suspect, then maybe take a couple leaves, take it to your favorite garden center, have them take a look at it, or just identify it yourself. It's not that difficult to do. So just this is a good time of year to really do some evaluations on lots of different things, whether it's your lawn, whether it's your perennial beds, whether it's your broadleaf evergreens. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after the news. KMOX and your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome to the Garden Hotline, tip of the trial hour, which I'll be giving that shortly. But right now, you can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with your ideas, questions, concerns, or comments. Mr. Kelly, before you slip out, I said, what are you doing watching that video? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so you do holiday decorations, you said. Yeah, we did some this year, quite a bit. Traditional tree, that type thing? We have, yeah, we have a fake tree. But, uh, yeah, we have a traditional tree, and then we have a little white tree that's all blue lights and blues ornaments. So a St. Louis blues tree. Whoa. And then Sue got out a little silver tree that uh, we put a few decorations on. So, yeah, we got a little bit going on. And then on the outside, we have a lattice that goes along the side of our back porch, and Mm -hmm. we put a lot of lights up on there. And, uh, oh, and then I have my uh, Snoopy in the mailbox that opens up out on the back porch, on the screened-in porch. So is that an inflatable type thing? That's not, the inflatable Snoopy was out front, but the snow just crushed him. Oh, Oh, he looks so sadly in there. Face face plant right in the snow. (laughs) Poor guy. And then, but the other Snoopy, uh, it has a Christmas tree. And then when the door opens to the mailbox, it has Woodstock. Not anymore. Now it's got a Stanley Cup instead of the Christmas tree. And a blue note that comes out of the out of the mailbox. Whoa! Yeah, man, customized. Yeah, so it's all custom customized. <laughs> you know, it's kind of funny though. As you drive around in the daytime nowadays, all the inflatables that are deflated. <laughs> I saw there was a tweet last week where they had a somebody had a uh, Yoda standing there with a the lightsaber, mm-hmm. and then all the deflatables or or inflatables are all flat on the ground except him. Yeah, it looks like he just went in there and just went zoom zoom zoom. <laughs> So it's yeah. kind of funny, you know, you see that. It's like, right. yeah, those poor Santa Claus, boom, face plant. It's like, oh. And also they have to, re- you know, people have to realize when those things deflate during the day, mm-hmm. especially when the temperatures are, you know, going to rise like they are now and the humidity is very high underneath that, you're setting a scenario for fungus in your lawn. Oh, there you go. See, so. it's a good thing I brought that up. <laughs> <laughs> so be careful, folks. Keep those inflatables inflated. inflated. Right. All right. 24 Little. hours a day. Yeah, there's a house uh, close to near Hampton and Chippewa, mm-hmm. and they have so many inflatables, they have their entire front yard filled. I mean, almost shoulder to shoulder. It is amazing. They must have like 40 or 50 of them wow. in the front of their house. It's and amazing. are they on all the time, or do yeah, they all? So, well, we've yeah. been there in the daytime, and yeah. they're, they're on. Yeah. So I don't know if they're on all the time or not, but uh, it's amazing how many they have. Yeah, that, that's the thing now. You aren't kidding. You know? I have none myself. You don't. No. Do you decorate much? Yeah, we decorate quite a bit, but, yeah. uh, you know, we go for more, I guess, more traditional type stuff. Yeah, yeah, same here for the most part. But right. I had to get a Snoopy, come on. You know, you got to have a Snoopy doghouse. <laughs> exactly. Well, thanks. And by the way, folks, thanks to you for having me on your show. We're here. We can discuss plant selection, caring for the ups and downs of annuals. The pansies, I actually have seen some pansies that have survived 
I haven't seen them since the snow, but uh, they survived that cold spell earlier. How about your bulbs? Amaryllis. Plenty of amaryllis still for sale in lots of different stores. Very easy to care for. They're already potted up, many of them. All you have to do is bring them in your house. And as I said before, temperatures are not too bad right now, but even something like that, when it's super cold, you just don't want it to get cold in your car or between the retail store where you buy it and going out to your car and then from your car into your house. But amaryllis are really easy to care for. And the, the flowers will end up being uh, probably four to six inches across. And it's just a, it's a bulb. You don't have to do too much to it. Once they finish flowering, you just cut off the flower stalk, and then it'll produce some foliage, long strap green foliage, which is nice. You know, all the way you get to watch the, or just look at the green foliage all the way until, oh, let's say September or so. Then you chop it off, and then it'll get the cycle back for flowering. Other houseplants as well, your lawn, your perennials, your roses, your shrubs, your trees, your vines, or your water gardens. Hopefully your water gardens have been covered, so all the fall leaves that have already fallen and not blown into there, especially if you have fish in your water garden, because fallen leaves in the water can be toxic to your fish. But please remember, my answers, comments, and opinions is not the only garden path to take, but strictly offered to you to maybe give some consideration. And across the big board, James is producing today. So when you call, James just needs your name and where you're calling from. And uh, that's all he, then he'll sort of send it via computer over to me and I'll be able to talk to you. During the week, I do landscape consulting, which I call a walk and talk. You can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, where my email and phone number are listed and we can schedule a walk and talk. Also, people give walk and, you know, walk and talks as uh, holiday presents. So if you're interested, just contact me, and I can email you the gift certificates that you can give to somebody. Tip of the trial is a special recognition for an individual group or a situation that's made an impression on me, and it's brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Excuse me. <coughs> I know there's a cough button I'm supposed to push, but I don't push any buttons here. Anyway, Tip of the trial goes out, first of all, to Joe Geerling. Joe Geerling had been the top engineer here at the radio station for 30-plus years. He was in charge of the main transition when we moved from the riverfront to where we are now in the Park Pacific building. He was here. I mean, he's pretty much been in charge of everything. But after 30 years, he decided it was time to move on. So a tip of the trial goes out to Joe Geerling for making it so everything that is here was you know has been unbelievably working well. So tip of the trial goes out to Joe Geerling and also the Missouri Botanical Garden. Tip of the trial goes out to them because tomorrow they have they're celebrating Hanukkah between twelve and four Hanukkah Festival of Lights. So that's going to be tomorrow, first day of winter. So the Botanical Garden, if you're interested in a, in the Hanukkah, they're going to have gifts and all kinds of other stuff as well at the Missouri Botanical Garden. So. That's the tip of the trial for today. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. If you have questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Weekday mornings at 8.30, Charlie Brennan and Amy Marks-Cores provide perspective on KMOX and KMOX.com.
Yes, folks, questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Remember, if you have a cool season lawn, also don't drain your mower if you have a gas-powered mower and keep it charged up because you do not want those blades on your lawn to elongate too much because when we get another snow or whatever, sleet or anything like that, it's going to lay them down on top of each other and it's going to create a winter fungus problem. And you're wondering if this snow has put winter fungus onto your lawn. Well, just go out there and take a, you know, take a look. And you'll notice there's, if you do have a fungus, there's two major wintertime funguses. And they, they both have a kind of a pink tint to them. Now, they're not deadly like the summertime funguses are, but what they do is just weaken your lawn, so consequently it could be problematic a lot sooner and a lot more tragically and dramatically in the summertime if you do get another fungus situation. So there's really not too much you can do this time of year. Don't bother spraying fungicides or anything at all, but just keep your grass at a a height probably around two and a half to three inches. And that's the best thing you can possibly do to avoid this problem. So let's head over to Illinois and go into Ruth's yard. Hi, Ruth. Hi, Mike. Merry Christmas. Same to you. I was just wondering, uh, did I understand you correctly one day on a Saturday? You do not do any more designing? No, I don't. No designing. Oh, okay. Could you plan my... Come on, I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah, uh, no designing anymore. I just do consultations. Okay, all right, because you did design my backyard, which it is growing. It is getting there. (laughs) But anyway, um, I thought I understood that because I've been referring you to some people, and Uh I I stopped it because I thought, man, I I think I understood him correctly. But all I really wanted to uh, let you know and some of the listeners is those rosemary trees are available at Deerberg's. Oh, really? I just bought two. I'm on my way to buy another one. Yeah. They're small. They're small. Sure, right. You know, they're like, you know, and they come like, yeah, about, what do you think, about a foot tall, maybe a little bit taller. Foot at the maximum, let's say any place between 12 and 14 inches, and they're in a, Uh let's say, like probably a four four or six inch pot. Inch pot, right. right, right. Well, they have them unless they're sold out, but I am on the way to get another one. So I just wanted to let you know, I heard the lady call in, and she said, what about Dearborn? I thought, oh, yeah, 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 tell her my story. <laughs> anyway, I'll I'm let you go. You I just wanted to, sure, have a good Christmas. Yeah. Yeah, basically what it was is, you know, I'm over 70 years old now, and the designs, you know, I really enjoyed them. I've I'd been designing for decades but I thought, you know, it's just it's sort of like why I stopped teaching at the Botanical Garden, why I stopped teaching at the community college. It's just energy and time and everything else. I just thought, nah, you know, it's just kind of time to shed off something else. So now I do the radio show and basically I do the consultations and that's kind of it. So no formal designs anymore. So thanks for asking and to getting that straight. And good luck on getting another rosemary tree at Deerberg's. Sorry, Deerberg's. I didn't realize that you have. We go to Deerberg's. We go to Snooks. We go to you know local stores. But uh, sometimes we don't necessarily go through the florist area. And I'm assuming that's where they would be. Where uh, Anyway, let's head out to Springfield, Illinois. We haven't been there for a couple, day, a couple weeks. And go into Harold's yard. Hi, Harold. Hi, sir. Um, I just got one quick question. I was doing a calculation of uh, this radioactivity in, in fertilizers, and I just did some assumptions, and I'm really not an expert in this, but uh, I, 
determined that I, some of the things I read that you can only put like four pounds of nitrogen per thousand square feet per year. And then uh, depending on what, uh, how much percent nitrogen you buy and how many applications, I came up with uh, about three to 20 pounds per year, basically one to four applications. Does that sound reasonable or am I off in some any way there? Or what, yeah. what do you think on those calculations? No, I think, you know, that sounds pretty reasonable. Basically what it is is if you put too much nitrogen down, it could cause problems because it can actually dehydrate root systems and soils and things like that. So that's sort of the, the disadvantage of, uh, you know, overdoing the nitrogen. Okay. Hey, thank you very much. Certainly. My pleasure. And also nitrogen can cause a lot of above-ground growth, and then the roots, you know, are not equal to the above-ground growth, and then ultimately the plants can end up being unhealthy. So that's why you got to watch out for that. So if anybody else has any questions, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Perfect time of year. The ground's probably, I don't think it's frozen, but uh, it's a good time to get a soil test done. And if you haven't done a soil test at all, get one done. And this is a good time. Take the soil samples. And if you live on the Missouri side, you can drop off the soil samples at the University of Missouri Extension Office, which is in Kirkwood, Illinois. I don't think the University of Illinois is doing the soils testing anymore. But there are private labs, you know, in the, in the metropolitan area over in Illinois. There's one in Belleville for sure. And what the soil test is going to do is going to let you know, like the gentleman was just talking about, that maybe it's not going to, a soil test will never show that you have nitrogen in your soil because nitrogen only stays in the ground or on the ground for a few days. And actually then it becomes a gas and heads up into the air. But when we have lightning strikes, then the nitrogen comes back down. So that's a why a lot of times after lightning storms, your lawn really looks great because it's been top dressed or top, you know, dressed with nitrogen out of the air. Now, the phosphorus and potassium, those are the two major other nutrients. There's also micronutrients as well. But the phosphorus and potassium, they help, you know, other aspects of going, you know, having a healthy lawn. But if you've been putting the same fertilizer down year after year after year after year, it's trouble. Because the nitrogen or the phosphorus and potassium stay in the soil for years, and then that can become extravagant as far as the amount, and that can do some major damage to your plant material where you think you're doing the best for your plants when actually you're doing some harm for your plants. So let's head over to Don's yard, and Don lives in O'Fallon. Hi, Don. How are you doing this morning? Very good. Uh, I've been wanting to call him for a long time, and maybe you're my answer. I've got a uh, yard that's five years old. Um, every year, it's old clay is what it is from a new home being built. And every year, I'm either eat up with weeds, and I have you know a fair amount of grass, or I have more grass, and, and maybe sometimes a little less weed. But either year, I say, do I put down grass seed or I put down fertilizer? So I usually pick one, and, and three years in a row, I overseeded it. And it seemed to help for a little while, and then the weeds have really taken me over last year. And I just don't know what to do with my yard anymore. I don't know how to bring it back around. Basically, you, you, know, you have to kind of start from the beginning. So you need to do something called core aeration, which is, you know, a lawn service will come out with a machine, and they take, you know, like wine bottle cork size plugs out of the ground. So they're going to be about two inches, uh, 
you know, long, maybe not quite two inches, but close, and about, uh, let's say, half an inch or to three-quarters of an inch in, you know, as far as how wide they are. Then after the core aeration, you're going to spread compost. And the reason why you're doing this is because you're going to feed your soil. So you can fool around with all this fertilizing and everything else, but until you get a good, healthy soil, and you said your soil isn't healthy because it's new construction and it's compacted clay soils, and so consequently... You know, until you start getting a richer, better soil, you're going to be doing the same thing year after year after year after year. And it's going to take several years to finally get your soil up to a healthy point, but at least you'll be making progress through that. So that's kind of what, you know, the best advice I can give you is just, and probably like I was talking about just now, getting a soil test done and finding out what there is there because you may be putting down fertilizers that are doing more harm than good for the you know for the lawn that you do have. All righty. Well, it sounds like a place to start, um, and uh, I'll take your advice and try that. I have I have corrugated, and uh, I can see some good healthy uh, soil coming up. But I do know the underlying probably after five years even is still probably pretty much clay. Right. Um, so. Uh, you know, in five years, I've been doing uh, one or the other. Like I said, <laughs> seeding or I fertilize. Right. And I've done more seeding, I think, than fertilize. But last year, I mean, weeds, I, maybe everybody got it. I mean, I'm just eat up with weeds. Yeah, certain years, it depends upon the weather and all kinds of other factors as well. And there's certainly two different kinds of weeds. There's the annual-type weeds and there's the perennial-type weeds. And the combination of both, it's really difficult to get them under control. I won't take much more of your time there, but one other question. I've got a lot. I've got some of the crawling weeds that just seem like they crawl and expand all over the place or spread. Um, they're like uh, they're like little limbs going everywhere, and uh, sometimes I think they have a yellow or purple flower on them. And you know, I've got that pretty bad. So um, that's one of my weed issues, I guess. Yeah, take a look at a, a weed called Speedwell Persian P E R S I A N Persian Speedwell online and see if that's the weed that you have. Okay. Well, thank you for your time. Certainly. My pleasure. And now let's go to Spanish Lake and go into Rich's yard. Hi, Rich. Mike, how are you doing today? Very good. This time of year, I'm a gardener who's looking for something to do. (laughs) And I find that if I take uh, some thumb-sized elephant ear tubers that I've collected in the fall and plant two or three, four of them maybe in an eight-inch pot with a potting mix, I will get the neatest philodendron-looking-like plants. Use a southern window, keep the planting mix moist but not soggy, and uh, it is—it just makes some interest this time of year. And come spring, I put them outside, and they do okay. I let them go from there. Great. It's just something I thought somebody might be thinking of. Right. So you're talking about philodendron, the tropical house plant that has some of them have green leaves, some of them have green, you know, yellow stripes on the leaves, and things like that. Is that correct? No, not really. What I'm talking about is when I take my elephant ears out. Oh, the elephant have, ears. When I take my elephant ear tubers out, which I have lots and lots of them. Right. There's there's always some thumb sized tubers that grow with the bigger plants. Okay. And I salvage those thumb-sized ones to put in potting mix in the wintertime in the house. And it makes a philodendron looking like I see. plant. Right. I'm sorry I misunderstood and, the elephant ears. That's my, one of my favorite summertime you know, bulbs for sure. And if you, if, you do, if you get kind of bored, you're looking for something to do, you plant these thumb-sized ones. And I know you've gotten some of them. Right. 
And it makes an interesting cat. Gives you kind of something to do and look forward to. <laughs> well, great. Thanks for the insight. Thank you very much. Have yes. a good day. Mike Miller, KM Wise Garden Hotline. If you have any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We have a couple phone lines open, so give us a call. Elliot Hancock, and we wanted to wish you and your family a happy holidays. Uh, actually, a Merry Christmas. Come on, Hancock. Happy Come on, holidays. Michael. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Happy holidays from KMO. Yes, happy holidays for you, and uh, tomorrow is Hanukkah, so happy Hanukkah as well. Let's head out to O'Fallon. This might be the fourth or fifth time we've been there. Uh, some are Illinois, some are Missouri O'Fallons, but anyway, this is Bob. Hi, Bob. How are you? Good, uh, Mike. Uh, Illinois, by the way. Aha. Uh-huh. And uh, I'm trying to grow, or I have been growing uh, knockout roses, uh, one of them in a pot because I'm tired of paying for them, and then even mulching and everything else, I lost two of them. So that's a lot of money for one year of growth. So I tried that, uh, and I've got a south-facing window, so I didn't let it die off. I just let it stay in the south-facing window, but it didn't do that much this last summer. Does it need to have die off, or will it? Is it better to let it die? What are the what do the greenhouses do to grow them? You know, ready to sell? Do they let them freeze off and then let them spring back in the spring, or do they just let them be in the sunlight? and the warmth all year long. What's the best way to do that? So you have knockout roses inside in a pot? No, they didn't die. I had them go through last winter in a south-facing window, and it did okay, but it never really bounced back like it should. Yeah, they need so, so I'm misunderstanding. Do you have them outside planted in the ground? No, no, in a pot. In a pot indoors. And, and I moved them indoors last winter. Yeah, this don't... winter I let them die back. Let them die back and yeah. figure I'll try that one. But right. do they? Ne- do the greenhouses not let them die back? They just grow them all year, all year long till they, they sell they, them, or what? Yeah, they basically grow them outside, so they don't have them in oh. greenhouses or anything. So they stay outside all the time. I mean, they have them in pots and ready to go. So and sometimes they have cold frames, which is a kind of a greenhouse that's not heated. So they can have them ready for you know sales earlier in the season. But yeah, for the most part, they got to be outside. They got to go through, let's say, all the weather changes. So if you're right. feeding them every month and with a rose food and they're in a bright sunny location where they're not competing with any kind of tree roots or anything like that, they're pretty tough and durable. Why you're having problems, I'm not exactly sure. Well, everybody in our area, not everybody, but I don't people that have a lot of them they lost like 30 percent of them last winter and it wasn't even that cold and they mulch and all that and they're not old plants i don't know if they're getting weaker or what well sometimes putting you know knockout roses really you know only a couple inches of mulch some people try to you know mulch them like they are hybrid teas or grandiflores or floribunda type roses which need eight to ten inches of mulch the, with the knockout roses, since they're a shrub type, they don't need that type, you know, that much mulch, and it could be problematic from a moisture standpoint, and that could lead to, let's say, some root rot. Okay, that might be what it is. Then too much mulch, and then it doesn't get the the moisture that it's normally going to get. Like now, the snow's melting, so it's right. going to go down in in there. Right, that could be it. So too much okay. mulch can I be. Appreciate as, your help. Yeah, so too much mulch can be as problematic as no mulch. And with the knockouts, a lot of times I grew them for years, 
in pots, and I never mulched them at all. So it's just uh, too much mulch can be trouble. And especially what type of mulch, because as the mulch breaks down, if I'm assuming they're not pulling it back, or then it starts binding up nutrients and things like that and really causes problems from that standpoint as well as the moisture factor. So good luck, Bob. Thank you. Certainly. And now let's see, where do we want to head? Whoa, we're going to Lake St. Louis, first time today, and into John's yard. Hi, John. Hi, how are you? Very good. Good. Thanks for your service. Um, hey, I'm going to try to explain this as quickly as I can without taking up too much time. But I, ha- I live on a, on a hill in a neighborhood on a hill, and my neighbor's house above me is probably 18 to 20 feet above me, um, their foundation. Um, that creates some drainage issues. And then I have my gutters and a French drain um, all feeding into a natural swale on a tree line in the backyard. Um, the neighbors before me cleared that area to open up the yard. And so basically I'm getting a lot of flooding when it rains a lot into that swale. Right. So my question is, what type of ground plant, like honeysuckle or something like that, could I plant in that swale area back there to suck up a lot of the water? So do you want a ground cover or you want some shrubs? Some shrubs. Some shrubs. I'd probably maybe just do a big, massive planting of a shrub called red twig dogwood. Okay. And the red twig dogwood, get the variegated leaf one. So in the summertime, it'll look like a big snowbank along there. In the wintertime, the foliage will fall off, and then the, the younger leaves or younger stems, sorry, branches, will be bright red. Interesting. Okay. Now, is that going to work? So, so the tree line in the back, um, my house is on the north side of that tree line. So sometimes, I, you know, I've, I've planted some hemlocks back there, but they don't get enough sunlight on the, on the north side of the tree line. Right. Will, will that work okay? Will the-, the red twig dogwood can take sun, and it can take shade, and it can that's take fun. wet. So that's cool. why I'm recon- recommending that. Thank you. Certainly. My pleasure. Yeah, it's a, I mean, red twig dogwood, just, and like I say, get the one with the, I mean, there are green leafed ones, but get the ones with a variegated leaf because they have, they're pale green and white. So then, like I said, in the summertime, it'll give you a totally different look. And now let's head to Eureka and go into Sue's yard. Hi, Sue. Hi. Hi, Mike. Hi. Uh, We're not going to be in the yard. We're going to be inside today. I brought in a mandevilla plant. It was just, it bloomed so beautifully, and it was already potted nicely, so I brought it in. Do they winter over at all? (laughs) Aesthetically, (laughs) no. (laughs) They will survive, but aesthetically, they don't like the insides. I see. Okay. I mean, I fooled around with them a couple years, and I finally just, you know, stopped fooling around with them as far as bringing them back in. So I just almost treated them like... Uh, a type of annual, even though they, you know, they're okay. woody stemmed and everything else, but they just really look ugly for the most part. And I even had them under grow lights in the basement, and they just didn't do well. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, uh, this is it. It grow. It's growing. Uh, it's tentacles, you know, trying to find something to climb on. Right. And I, I keep cutting those back. Okay, the other thing is I've, I've had a, a beautiful hibiscus for the last two years, and I brought it in. It was loaded with blooms, 
and it bloomed profusely for the first six weeks or so after I had it in. It still has some some buds, but but it's it, it's yellowing out. Um, uh, and I didn't have that last year. Of course, the, the it's much larger than it was right. last year. Can can I just cut that back? You can, but it's not going to help. Hibiscus is another one of those plants. Some people have great luck with them, you know, that have like a sliding glass doors facing south, and they rotate them, and they do everything else, and they don't overwater. But uh, hibiscus is another one of those that just, just doesn't like it in the indoors. Okay. Now, you said you regulate the water. I thought you were supposed to water those a lot. No, no, they- no. Nothing gets watered a lot inside you know, are very few things. Oh. So overwatering. Well, maybe, maybe that's maybe that's why it's yellowing. It could be, but there you're going to get yellowish foliage and foliage dropping and flower buds dropping, regardless. Okay. Um, what what about the poinsettias? Uh, do they get a lot of water? Uh, they just you just basically want to make sure that. Take your finger and push down, and if the the potting mix that they're growing in feels damp on your fingertip, then don't water them. Okay. Do, do you fertilize anything that blooms like that in the winter? If you're going to fertilize when it's in bloom, yes, like Christmas cactus or anything that's blooming, but only fertilize at half label rate. Don't fertilize okay. at full label rate. Okay. Well, when the leaves turn red. Is that considered blooming? No, that's the leaf is a leaf. The flower, okay. the flower on a poinsettia is a little bitty tiny thing that's uh, yellow. Okay. So those those red leaves are bracts, b r a c t s. That's not a f- right. related to the flower whatsoever. Okay. Well, I've been doing it all wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you should have called oh, years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I'll change my ways. Have a good holiday, Mike. Thank you very much. Certainly. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. Questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, we've got a couple open phone lines, so 314 314- 436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We're heading to Dave's yard, and Dave lives in Afton. Hi, Dave. Hi, Mike. How you doing this morning? Very good. Hey, um, uh, talking about elephant ears, what's the best way that you'd recommend to uh, winter them after you dig them up? Basically, I take them, I shake all the soil off of them, I put them in paper bags, because I have quite a few, so then in between each, excuse me, <coughs> in between each layer, I put newspaper, and then I just put them in the basement. Okay, so you don't mess with um, peat moss and all that stuff? No, 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 no. Okay, great. I guess and you then could, another... but oh. I don't see any reason to, because when you see them for sale, they're basically just in cardboard boxes you know, uh, sh- with nothing around them. Okay, they sure are. Uh, and then I have a bunch of tulip bulbs I never got in. Whoops. Am I better off trying to find a good time, or should I just try to save them for next year? Probably if you get them in the ground, they're probably not going to get a root system established enough. So next spring, you're not going to pr- likely get flower. You might get some foliage, but then that would be for the future. But tulips, 
the way they've been hybridized over the years, you're only going to get a couple years out of the tulips. If you want to try and you got some, let's say, six or eight inch, you know, plastic pots, just put them mm-hmm. in the plastic pots with potting mix and try to get them to bloom inside. Okay, good idea. Thanks so much. Sure. Forcing bulbs inside, you know, ideally you would have already had them potted up, but I would do that as opposed to just kind of leaving them or trying to put them in the ground because that's a lot of work. And at least in pots, you can get them, you know, taken care of pretty quick and without a whole lot of effort and strain and everything else. So good luck with that. Nice. Thank you so much. Sure. And let's head now to Sunset Hills. Hi, Randy. How are you? Good morning, Michael. I have a question about my African violets. It's time for me to transplant them. And I checked online, and they said to use a specific soil for African violets. But I only need about two handfuls of soil. Can I use potting mix? Yeah, you certainly can. African violet mix is going to be the best because it's formulated for the African violet specifically. And you can get relatively small bags of that at garden centers. Okay. The, the only ones I found so far were huge. Really? And yeah, it said African it, violet mix on it, and it was a huge bag? I'm talking uh, about like one or two quart bags. Yeah. Um, not Well, they were larger than that, but I hadn't gone to the uh, oh, the actual nursery itself. I'll try that. Right. Also, what you can do is go on... You know, go online to Missouri Botanical Garden website, and the African Violet Society meets there and see if you can find a contact name for the African Violet Society. They may be able to give you a tip on where to be able to get it in smaller quantities or smaller amounts. Very good. I'll do that. Yeah. Yeah, the, the garden has all kinds of plant societies that meet there. And if you're really into them, of course, then you could start attending the meetings, the African Violet Society. So when I was working at the Botanical Garden, I actually, uh, with another couple staff members, the, my last year at the garden, four years was in the English Woodland Garden. In my fifth year, I decided to go back and work in the Climatron because I'd been, uh, you know, I went to the Climatron the first year it opened in 1960 when I was in sixth grade. So, but I became a judge for the African Violet Society's show. So it was really kind of fun and they're great. Yeah, I mean, great people. So that's the true with any kind of the society. So thank, thanks, Randy, for calling. And uh, this is a good time of year to head out and take a look up into your trees. One of the t- three sugar maples that I have, the one that faces actually this across, you know, which is across the street from the park, you know, I noticed, and you probably heard me maybe tell a little bit about this, you know, off and on, that, uh, you know, some of the bark was sloughing off. And I'm not talking off the trunk. It was looked like it was, you know, probably f- on a branch that was like three to four inches caliper. Now, this this one maple has two different branches that are dead. So I've been thinking maybe I should go out and cut those down so they don't f- ultimately fall and hit somebody's car that's parked underneath them or something like that. But I'm still kind of waiting to see, you know, overall, I know they're dead. They're not going to do anything because they've got sections where there's no bark whatsoever. So whenever you get a situation like that, whether it's around the trunk or whether it's around a branch, if there's no bark, then there can be no translocation of nutrients because all the veins of the tree that translocates nutrients and moisture up to the leaves are right below the bark. And then once the bark is gone, 
There's no protected layer. There's no more veins there. So that branch is dead or that tree is dead if it's, a, you know, if it's all the way around the trunk. That's why a lot, you know, if you want to, let's say, make somebody really mad, just go over, sneak over in their yard and cut the bark all the way around the trunk. And then you can kill their tree because you're tired of their tree. I, I'm, I'm kidding. But don't do that. But, uh, you know, just realize that, you know, bark is extremely important. But also equally as important structurally is the heartwood. And that's the inside wood like that's used for firewood and things like that. So the bark is where the veins are and the protection from sun, scalding, and everything like that. But the heartwood, somebody sent me an email with a picture, and he had a tree that had some super heartwood rot. And I said, structurally, the tree's going to just slowly but surely go downhill. But because the bark was still in place, there was still foliage and branches and everything else. But anyway, everybody have a great Christmas. Have a great Hanukkah. Mike Miller, KMLUX Garden Hotline. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.